Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. From Variety, I'm Michael Schneider. Emmy-nominated actress Laverne Cox admits she lived the Samantha lifestyle in late 90s New York City, which is one of the reasons she was such a huge fan of HBO's Sex and the City. Sex and the City, for me, a lot of it was about the time in my life, living in New York as well, Um, going to a lot of the same nights, um, you know, haunts as Carrie and and the girls. Drinking Cosmos. Um, Drinking Cosmos, you know, getting into Bungalow 8 and having, like, my little romps. I was thinking about, like, the TV that, like, I've watched over and over and over again and never get tired of. And there's every episode of Sex and the City I've watched multiple times and can quote lines from. On this edition of the podcast, we talk to Laverne Cox, Emmy nominated as a guest star for reprising her role as Sophia on Orange is the New Black, as she wows us with her in-depth knowledge of all things Sex and the City. We also talk about the legacy of that Netflix series and her favorite installment of that show as well. It's my favorite episode. My favorite episode. Episode. Let's talk TV. TV. My favorite episode makes me so. Welcome to Variety's My Favorite Episode. Let's give it up for your host, Michael Schneider. Thank you, DJ Omar Khan, for the theme song. It's My Favorite Episode, and this time out, we're talking to Laverne Cox. Cox's favorite episode is Running with Scissors, the 11th episode of Season 3 from Sex and the City, which first aired August 20, 2000. Written by Michael Patrick King and directed by Dennis Erdman, in this episode, Carrie, played by Sarah Jessica Parker, continues her affair with Mr. Big, But as things progress, they end up meeting at dingy hotel rooms. And Carrie starts to question, what is she doing? Ruining her relationship with Aiden and also coming between Big and his new wife. This is the episode where it all comes tumbling down. Meanwhile, also in this episode, Samantha, played by Kim Cattrall, meets the male version of Samantha, who wants her first to get tested for HIV. Samantha has surprisingly never done so, leading to this hysterical exchange with her doctor. And across town, Samantha felt as though she might cry as well. Have you had an HIV test before? No. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm really nervous. Try to relax. There's just a couple of routine questions, nothing to be alarmed about. <sighs> okay. Thanks. Now, do you have sex? Yes. Do you have oral sex? Give, receive? Yes. Yes, yes. Do you have anal sex? Yes. Do you swallow? Only when surprised. Do you use condoms? Yes. What kind of condoms? Trojan, lifestyles, chic, wet and wild. No, I meant uh, latex, lambskin. Oh, yes. Yes. How many sexual partners have you had? I'm counting. Um, this year? 
Later this episode, we discuss Cox's favorite episode of Orange is the New Black ever, Lesbian Request Denied, the third episode of season one. Directed by Jodie Foster, it's the backstory of Cox's character, how she became Sophia and ended up at Litchfield Penitentiary. As Orange is the New Black winds up its seventh and final season, we began by discussing the show's legacy for both her and television in general. It's not been bitter at all. It's just been sweet, the whole process, I think. Um... I remember reading an interview from Genji season one and I remember her saying in that interview that she had about, she knew she had about seven seasons in her. And I don't know, I think when I read that, that didn't suggest that we would be done after seven seasons, but I, I thought that if Netflix wanted us, we would probably, you know, stay around that long. And so seven feels like a really good number. Yeah. Lucky, lucky seven. On. Yeah. 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 So what's, what's it been like in, in reuniting with the, the cast, uh, you know, the folks who you've uh, been on this journey with along the way? It's so weird since I moved to Los Angeles and a lot of our cast, um, a lot of my castmates still live in New York. And so I haven't seen a lot of them in a while. And I, even in the episodes that I've shot, um, I don't always shoot with everyone. So I don't see everybody. So it's, it was great at the premiere getting to see a lot of folks that I hadn't seen in a while and then doing a little bit of press. We lit the Empire State Orange yeah. um, in celebration of the seventh season of Orange is New Black. So I got to do that with a few of the castmates and it was really special. Yeah, yeah. It's a reminder of just how important this show was. Uh, yeah. Important for Netflix, important for television in general. And still is. And still is. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, to be a part of that, what has this, this journey meant for you? I... When I, in 2012, I turned 40 and I was in a tremendous amount of debt. I was on a payment plan to avoid eviction from my apartment. And I thought that maybe it was time for me to do something else, to actually make some money. And um, I don't know, just turning 40 is like a big deal in some people's lives. And it was, yeah. I just felt like I hadn't accomplished what I had hoped I wanted to as an artist. And so I thought it was time to do something else. And so I, um, I bought the um, GRE sort of study materials from a friend of mine at a discount and started studying for grad school and figuring out where I was going to apply. And the Orange Audition came um, a few months after my 40th birthday, and I booked it. And um, I got out of debt. Um, I would hope so. Um, because of the show, I paid my rent after yeah. the... Um, after we shot um, the third episode of this season, which was Sophia's backstory, I got a lot of overtime. I was still in a day rate. I was able to pay my rent six months in advance, which was amazing. My rent wasn't that high, and that that's what made you know me not being able to pay it even more sort of humiliating at the time. And so, I mean, that's where I was seven years ago, and now I'm in a completely different place. And beyond what the show has done for my life, it has changed the trajectory of television for, um, I think, certainly for trans folks on television, but for women of color, for for the LGBTQ plus um, community in general. Um, and just Netflix has sort of ushered in an entirely new age of television. Um, I mean, I, I always say this jokingly that, you know, when we started seven years ago, Netflix and chill was not part of the cultural conversation. It wasn't even a phrase. And yeah. now... Um, Netflix has changed the game, and Orange is the New Black has certainly been a part of that, and I am 
so grateful that I got to be on the ride. Yeah, yeah. And the yeah. success of this show has beget other shows that have gone on to success as well, you know, yeah. like Pose on FX. And, and just open the door for, for a lot. And that's just got to be gratifying to have been a part of this. It's insanely gratifying. I, when I, the first season Pose came out and I just, I was in Los Angeles and all, and all these wonderful billboards went up with, um, with India Moore and Dominique Jackson and, and, and um, MJ Rodriguez. MJ Rodriguez. Black trans women on billboards as yeah. if it's nothing, and it. I just was like, I was so. I remember I was at. Um, I was like going to the doctor, and there was a. Um, and um, Dominique was on a bus shelter, and I just started crying. I was like, this is like. I just remember the first time I was on a billboard, and like how much that meant to so many people, and like trans openly trans black people had not been on billboards before or just new black, and yeah. so it's just I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. It's so. I, I'm just so happy and proud. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's sort of it. it there, there's so much negativity going on in the world right now. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's oh, yes. it's sometimes tough. It's it's mm-hmm. tough to to live in this world at this moment. So yeah. you got to take the wins and you got to take the positivity where you can. And and the and the responsibility of the artist becomes really foregrounded now. Um, you know, I'm 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 you know nominated for an Emmy, my third Emmy. I'm the, still the only trans person to be nominated for an acting Emmy, and in this world that is so turbulent, where so many groups of people are being scapegoated by our government, where trans people are under attack by our government, mm-hmm. right? Um, we've been banned from the military. They want to discriminate against us in housing, um, in healthcare. Um, to have trans folks on television now and to um, be nominated for an Emmy in this cultural environment feels so special and it just highlights that the importance of, of the work of the artist. That yeah. it's not, yes, we want to make people laugh, we want to, you know, entertain people, but we have the opportunity to represent people who are underrepresented um, culturally and it is an insanely amazing honor, but a, but a, a weight that, that we must carry as artists, but artists have always carried that weight, and yeah. I believe in the power of um, of art to sort of be arbiters of empathy and arbiters of compassion for our fellow human beings. And so um, right now, um, we, we have a lot of work to do. Right, mm-hmm. right. But Orange always threaded that needle pretty well yeah. in being such an entertaining show and, mm-hmm. and such a, you know, the, the character uh, development of, of everyone on that show. And that's a big cast, you know, to sort of, you know, uh, you know be able to really show the humanity of, of these folks, of these characters, and also do what you were saying and sort of advancing the conversation and, and hopefully shedding light on some of these issues. Again, not not easy to do. Absolutely not. And Genji has really been committed from 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 jump. I remember we had the honor of honoring Genji Cohen and um at, for an, an organization called the Feminist Majority uh, many years ago. And that night, Shonda Rhimes was also honored. And then Genji Cohen and Shonda Rhimes had a conversation on stage, which was pretty epic and pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And I remember this is ahead of I forget which season it was ahead of. It's just all sort of a blur at this point. But I remember Genji Cohen asked the question: Do you believe someone who is a rapist is still still has humanity still has, and in, 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 in a room with you know a room full of feminists a lot of people were like no and Genji was like well I disagree and that um, and it's complicated right you know um, as a sexual assault survivor myself it's complicated but my job as an artist is never to dehumanize any of the characters that I play to always look for 
this space of empathy and and humanity in every single human being, and that is our job as artists. And Jinji um, and our incredible writers have done that for seven seasons of a show, and I think it um, and I, and it, it takes a lot of courage when you. Um, are portraying people who have done horrible things sometimes, but their humanity is still not lost, even though they may have done something horrible. um, You've done something horrible, but you're not horrible. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 really interesting. It's a it's a show again that you know it's it's uh, interesting also to see the evolution of the culture the yes. past seven years oh, yes. and and how much you know the conversation has changed. Uh, you know this predated Me Too. This predated uh, you know Times Up and and, uh, and of course predated that what happened with the White House. Um, that who shall whose name shall not be spoken, um, but but nonetheless um, to have been on this ride while so much is going on in the real world mm-hmm. must have also been sort of just the juxtaposition of what's going on outside and, and the stories that you were telling mm-hmm. on this show. Yeah, and Gingy's always found a way in our way and our orange way to deal with this and address um, a number of those issues. I. I remember reading the script, um, I think it was season four, at the end of season four when, um, spoiler alert, um, if you haven't watched season four, I don't know what to say, <laughs> um, when, when, when Pusey Washington um, was, was murdered by, yeah. by a CO. And um, there, I, I feel like there's so many moments in our show that have transcended a television show, but for all of us, when we were shooting that, there, you know, we were living in, in, a, in a reality where we were routinely seeing black people killed on camera by mm-hmm. police um, almost on a daily basis. And for us to go there and tackle this subject was really one of our most beloved characters. I, I've been, I mean, I started doing my college tour in 2013. I swear to you, like the first like three years of our show, during my Q&As, people were always asking me about Buse yeah. and Samira, like people love her. Right, love that character, and, and she meant so much and means so much to so many people all over, the, all over the world. And for us to, I mean, it's like, how do you, how do you do that? Yeah. Um, but I think Gingy wanted, chose that to have a certain kind of impact for us to um, really grapple with um, the reality of, of what it means for so many people all over the all over this country to be losing their loved ones to, to police violence into a system that that um, systematically dehumanizes um, black folks. Yeah, and I always think about Samira going from that to Handmaid's Tale. And to, winning an Emmy! Yeah, yeah. Oh! So, and she's so good on that show. Yeah, yeah. She's so good on that show. She's such a... Oh, she's such an amazing um, human being. She's such an amazing woman. And just watching her grow as an artist over the over these years, too, has been incredible. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, you guys, I mean, murderer's row of talent on Orange. <laughs> and to see you know, also how everyone has like gone on to such yeah. amazing things, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, look at look at you, for example. No, I mean, I, I was thinking about so many of our, our my. I don't. I don't want to like. If you name names, you leave people out. But there's yeah. been such um, incredible. Our show's been such incredible, an incredible gift for so many of us, and uh, a lot of us who were not conventionally anything have found ways to have a career. And and I don't know if like Samir Wiley is 
insanely talented as, as she is, I mean, would, there, would the world have found a space for her if it weren't for Orange is the New Black with all that talent? Yeah. There have been, you know, a lot of people with a lot of talent have been looked over for a long time. And our show has given a space um, and a platform to so much talent. I think of Asia Kate Dillon, who, who started out on our show and now is killing it right. on Billions and is a two-time Critics um, Choice nominee and, and, and is blazed this beautiful trail for non-binary actors on television. Yeah. Um, and Asia started out on our show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, amazing. Again, and, and tra- blazing trails at the Emmys as well. Uh, so, yes. um, well, so switching gears real quick, I gave mm-hmm. you a little bit of an assignment. Uh, yes. So to, to choose your, your favorite episode of mm-hmm. TV ever. You picked a landmark Sex in the City episode. Is it a landmark Sex in the City episode? <laughs> it is. A lot happens in this episode. It's my favorite, and it's really. Um, do you want to preface it a little bit, or try? Or season three, episode eleven, running with scissors. Uh, Michael Patrick King, who of course was the showrunner for many years, wrote mm-hmm. this episode. Dennis Erdman was the director, but this yeah. is this is a key episode where Big and, and Carrie had been sort of carrying on an affair and. Shit hits the fan in this oh, episode. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting. And, I, and it, trying to pick my favorite episode of television ever is really hard. Yeah. And Sex and the City and Breaking Bad are my two favorite shows of all time. And um, for very different reasons. But Sex and the City for me, at, a lot of it was about the time in my life, living in New York as well. Um, Going to a lot of the same nights, um, you know, haunts as Carrie and, yeah. and the girls. Drinking Cosmos. Um, drinking or... Cosmos, you know, getting into Bungalow 8 and having like little, my little romps. But running with scissors, it's like, I was thinking about like the TV that like I've watched over and over and over again and never get tired of. And there's every episode of Sex and the City I've watched multiple times and can quote lines yeah. from. And run, But running with scissors was like sort of the culmination of... The big carry, the dysfunction of it in, in this in this really substantial way. So so you know, um, Carrie and Big they break up at the end of the first season. They get back together in the second season, break up again in La Douleur Exquise. That lovely episode was sort of with this, you know the exquisite pain in season two, and then he gets engaged very quickly to Natasha at the end of season two. And so by the uh, beginning of season three, we see Carrie single again and he's married, he's getting married. And then this whole Natasha thing, you know, Nijinsky, Natasha, if you you are are, um, a big fan. And so by the time we get to running with scissors, Carrie has started up this affair with big after he's gotten married. And it's just a hot, hot mess, but it's, um, but what I love about this episode is, um, I love so many things about it, but with the K- big Carrie romance, this um, it sort of starts off very sort of sort of old Hollywood, and she looks fabulous, and they're in these fabulous hotel rooms having this affair, and then it sort of quickly disintegrates. Um, what, disintegrates? What? Yeah. Disintegrates. Disintegrates, yeah. thank you. Into them going to these very sort of dingy um, motel rooms yeah. on, on 48th and 8th uh, where no one knows them so that they won't get caught. And 
Big is such an asshole in so many moments in this. There's a moment when she's like sort of frustrated and then he's like, are you saving it for your boyfriend? Because of course, not only is Big married to Natasha, but um, Carrie is dating Aiden and has started this affair. And Aiden is just the sweetest man ever and she's cheating on him and it's just horrible. But then also during this episode, um, Samantha um, meets the male Samantha. I forget his name. Do you remember his name? Uh, I I forget it, but yeah, yeah. She meets the male Samantha. I should have rewatched this episode, but I've seen it enough times. <laughs> um, and then he, they want to have sex, and he wants to have sex with her on a swing, which is so crazy. <laughs> Life, life's a lot like sex in the city. Life is a lot like sex in the city. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. So, so I was uh, going to ask you: uh, Have you, you've had a chance to meet some of the folks who yes. are involved? SJP. Uh, I met SJP once um, at a benefit. Um, I think it was last year, and she was positively delightful. And I, I mean, I've loved her since Square Pegs. If I'm being, you know. That hardcore, yeah. And um, I met Cynthia Nixon at um, at another benefit. Interestingly enough, um, she introduced me, and I introduced Hillary Clinton. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, just, just that. <laughs> um, Cynthia Nixon is delightful. She's such yeah. a brilliant actress and just lovely. And and I've met um, uh, and I've met um, um, Kristen Davis as well. We met at um, I think an Emmy party or something, yeah. and she was just. Delightful. So I've, the only one I've not met is um, um, Kim Cattrall. Kim Cattrall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you mentioned Mario Cantone, so you've gotten. To yes, know? I've met Mario Cantone a few times. Um, Mario, I think, was a co-host on The View when, or, or he was a guest on The View when yeah. I was a co-host, or he was a co-host when I was a guest yeah, or something. He, he's been on The View a lot. Yeah, yeah, I've met Mario a few times on The View, and he is just, oh my God, he's just. Mario's everything. Yeah, yeah. He's really a national treasure. No, he's he's a riot. And and you could yes. tell from that first episode, this running with scissors, like, oh, they're gonna use him more because oh, yeah. he's sort of the perfect foil for for Charlotte and, and he's kinda he does the things that Charlotte is too prim and proper to do. Absolutely. Um, you know, the the whole dress scene where she hate, hated it or whatever he says to like, they're, they're not paid what is it? They're not paid what is the line? They're not paid to um Oh yeah, they're paid to make you happy or whatever. Right, because she's worried like she's gonna think I'm a bitch, and he's like, they're not paid to think; they're paid to make you happy, yeah. or something like that. So, something like that. So yeah. just perfectly delivered, but yeah. so 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 much going and, on. And, there. and then the moment when um, they finally end up with their um, big and carrier at his at his home, Big's home, having their affair, and he's gone off to work, and Carrie's there, and. Um, once Charlotte finds out about the affair, she's like, how much do you know about Natasha? You know, and um, Carrie's sort of walking through Natasha's home and how much do I know about her? Um, at one point, she was the idiot stick figure with no soul. And um, and then um, Natasha comes in and Carrie's still there and she tries to like escape from the back yeah. of Big's apartment and then Natasha sees her and runs after her and then falls down the stairs and, um, and chips a tooth and she's bleeding and Carrie has to, um, and Carrie takes her to the hospital it's just a mess. Just a mess, and then it's Big shows up. And he shows and up, and and then he's and he's like, "Call me," and she's like, "Why? You know, we're so over. We need a new word for over." And then she looks fabulous. I think she. she I remember there was a crossbody bag. I don't remember which bag it was. And she had this denim jacket on, and then she comes home, and Aiden is there, just waiting. And she goes, and he's like, "Oh, you know, what were you doing?" She's like, "Oh, just going to the museum," you know. And then she goes and washes her face, and um, and the episode ends there, and it's just. 
Right, it's right. Just, it's heartbreaking and, and, and complicated. And yeah, because you know Aiden also, is, he, he knows something's going on. So yeah. they, they both in this episode have completely destroyed their relationships. But yeah. yet they're not ready to come back together either. So it's just a lot of... They weren't ready for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> we needed three more seasons for yeah. that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, how big of a fan were you? Like, you stuck through the movies. Uh, a lot of people weren't big fans of that second movie. But. I, I'm going to be honest. I personally prefer the series to the movies. Yeah. I think, to be honest, um, I think I know a lot of people hate the second movie. I thought the second movie was actually more true to the series than the first movie was. The first movie was probably a better film, but the um, the second movie had this, um, this sort of irreverence of the series and um, Samantha, you know, sort of Samantha always did something to kind of um, ruin the fun, like something with Samantha's, you know, sex capades, you know, in the second film, it was obviously her um making out with this guy on the beach with the Australian dude on the beach and then he gets an erection and it's, you know, and they're in um, Abu Dhabi and it's, you know, a Muslim country and all of these things are forbidden. But then that reminds me of the episode and also in in, um, in the third season where they end up at the Playboy Mansion, mm-hmm. um, if you know that. And um, it's the whole fake Fendi episode where um, um, Samantha gets a fake Fendi and then they end up at the Playboy Mansion and someone stole her, stole her fake Fendi. And Samantha thinks that one of the Playboy bunnies stole her fake Fendi. But the Playboy bunnies, Fendi is actually real and they all get kicked out of the Playboy Mansion. And it's just, <laughs> um, it's just that. There's so many of those kinds of moments yeah. um, in Samantha's storyline that I think is that I really just enjoyed and and about this series and it was sort of a nostalgic a nostalgia thing for me um, with that second movie with the series. There yeah. are all sorts of um, what's interesting too about Sex and City and from a critical perspective, a lot of folks talk about Sex and City sort of changing the nature of New York City and. Um, the sort of conspicuous consumption, some of the race issues, and there were there were trans issues on that show as well, for sure. Trans um, women um, appeared on the show. I remember um, specifically it was the end. It was the last episode of um, season <clears throat> of season three. At last episode of season three, I forget the name of the episode where there were some trans women. Samantha has moved into the meatpacking district, and there were some trans women who were sex workers who were very loud outside of Samantha's um, um, apartment. Um, and she, like, you know, sort of ends up confronting some of the trans sex workers, and they're very sort of othered. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting, what was interesting and weird for me at the time watching the show is I was just like, why the fir- is the first time that we encounter trans women on Sex in the City is that we were sex workers who were in a completely different world right, than the women right. of this city. I'm like, I was just a bungalow eight last week. Like, what, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to so many of the same places and living, um, certainly, I mean, I think what was great about Carrie, too, is that she never had a lot of money, but she managed to live a fabulous life. And I know so many people who lived in New York City who were broke as a joke and managed to go to the best clubs and the best whatever and found a way to not have a lot of money but to live a kind of fabulous life because yeah. of who you knew and and so it felt like so it was disappointing for me <clears throat> as a trans woman as a black trans woman to see black trans women sort of enter this world of sex in the city and be so thoroughly othered um but being critical of the show in that way didn't stop me from also loving the show in other ways right and there are lots of things um culturally that can be problematic in one way and we can watch those things and engage with them critically that doesn't mean we need to like 
throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, um, yeah. That's when you re- you're reminded that oh, this show is 20 years old. So, oh my God, it is. I mean, not to age it us, but no, it started in it's, 1998. Actually, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. So, so that's where you you do notice some things and watch. Even in this episode, we're talking about there's a there's a line where it's like, "Delete me from your Palm Pilot." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, that's right. This show is kind of ancient now. Uh, you know, they're celebrating the 25th anniversary of Friends right now. Another show that you know. Uh, hasn't aged well to some degree. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of conversation about you know a lot of gay panic jokes and, and things like that 25 years ago. Uh, and then just also... Race issues on yeah. Friends as well yeah. that they tried to rectify and, you know, with varying degrees of... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the good news is, you know, the but culture has... But the times has, change. Yeah. But the times change. And hopefully we as artists can be can continue to do the work to reflect the, the changing times and look back on a great show like Friends, which is a great show, and a great show like Sex and the City and not feel like we need to discard the whole thing because... it for its time and still for now I think a lot of it holds up I think Sex and City holds up remarkably well yeah. I mean the fourth season for me I love the third season it was the sort of penultimate it was the only um, it was the only season that they won an Emmy for Outstanding Comedy Series and it's the first time a cable show won an Emmy for Outstanding Comedy Series I love that you have all this information yeah like, I don't know why and I, I, don't, I just forgot I knew that um, but I need the, like if there's ever a trivia night for Sex and the City I need Laverne Cox on my team yes you do you would kill um, yes you do and um, um, and um, also Sarah Jessica Parker and Cynthia Nixon won Emmys for that last season as well. And so there's just, but the fourth season of that show is so beautiful. There's episodes, um, The Good Fight, when Carrie and um, um, Aiden, they finally get gotten back together and they move in together. I love that episode, All That Glitters, when um, Charlotte has this seemingly perfect marriage, but they're not having sex and then Trey doesn't want to have a baby and they've been trying. And there's just so many beautiful change of address when um, Big and, uh, when Aiden and Carrie break up for the second time, mm-hmm. when she doesn't want to wear, he's, engaged, he's proposed and she doesn't want to wear the ring on her hand, she's wearing it around her neck and she's in this beautiful white dress after the um, black and white ball that Richard Wright throws and you know and Samantha now wants Richard to be monogamous when she didn't want him to be it's such a beautiful show and around and it just deals that fourth season just delves into the complexities of once you are in relationships what happens and are you able to sustain them and and how things that may look great on the outside, once you're in them, they're really not so great or they're way more complicated than you imagine. Yeah, yeah. Love the fourth season of Sex and the City. It, obsessed. Yeah, it's interesting, too, not to go too deep into the post-9-11 Sex and the City, but the tone did change. Season and, five. Yeah, and, and sort of that's where people started to, like, you know, maybe I do want to settle down. Maybe I do want to find, like, you know, the, the mate. And, and I think, you know, even, like, subliminally, the tone kind of changed in You really in feel show. the post-9-11 Sex Sex in the City in season five, and that was an abbreviated season because um, Sarah Jessica Parker was pregnant, and um, the, it, she has. Um, it was the end, you know. Big, um, um, big had moved. He had gone to uh, moved to California. She had broken up with Aiden. She used to start working at Vogue, and she bought her apartment with Charlotte's ring. And so she's, but she's just sort of not dated for a while at the beginning of season five, and she's just sort of lost her. 
you know, her groove in a way. And season five is really all about Samantha. It's yeah. really all about Samantha. There's just some gems. That's the season she won a Golden Globe for. <laughs> Here I go again. Um, but there's so many. I mean, when, the, when she gets the um, the chemical peel and goes to Carrie's book party, when she um, yeah. returns the vibrator. I mean, this is like classic, epic Sex in the City when Samantha sort of gives this tutorial at, um, you know, um, Sharper Image with these vibrators, you know, back massagers, a.k.a. vibrators. It's just uh, some really classic, gorgeous um, work from yeah. Kim Cattrall in that fifth season. So you said at the time you were Samantha. <laughs> who, who are you now? Well, that was a combination of Samantha and uh, Miranda. Yeah. Now, now I'm Laverne. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You have your own show. Uh, I'm Laverne in that I... You know, I think I was always probably, I was Samantha, but I think I was a closeted Charlotte. I think I always wanted to sort of believe in true love and find true love, and I didn't think it was possible for me. And so I, I did what I could do, you know, and I, that would be Samantha. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, and now I, now I'm, I'm, now I'm just Laverne. You yeah. Know, I, I, you know, it's interesting, I think, growing up. Becoming more into my own womanhood, I you know I, I'm a, I mean right now I'm a little bit of all of them. I think my Samantha days are over. Um, I'm single again, so maybe I need to get a little more Samantha in me. But uh, <laughs> I think my Samantha days are over. Yeah, though. I think I'm you know I still I can I can still stretch and do some of the things I used to do. But uh, <laughs> <clears throat> well, I wanted to bring uh, Brianna into the conversation. Now you're you're a little younger. Did you watch Did you watch Sex in the City or? Um, not growing up. When the show started, I was two years. Yeah, old. I was going to say that's probably <laughs> oh, prob- my god. Probably not appropriate. But. No, but I mean, growing up, my mother loved Sex in the City, so yeah. I've always been able to watch from her perspective and kind of see where she identified yeah. with characters. Um, that's interesting that you said that you um, were Samantha at a point, and then you've transformed and taken on other characters. I'm wondering. Um, also, with the point that you made about relationships, was there a couple that you loved to hate on the show? A couple I loved to hate. Oh my gosh, that is a really good question. <clears throat> a lot of Carrie's relationships pre, like pre Aiden, were just you know her waiting for Mister Big to come back around. Um, gosh, I, I'm Charlotte and Trey. Charlotte and Trey. I think there was something. Um, Trey was, in so many ways, ideal for Charlotte, and then he just turned really into a colossal asshole once they got married. And Charlotte wanted to have a baby, and he and it was hard, and he just wanted to sort of give up, and he just checked out. And I think there are so many men in relationships who just check out. Women maybe do this as well, but I guess I'm just speaking from my own experience as a woman who dates men. And the way he checked out on her when she was so fervently in, when she endured so much with his erectile dysfunction, and he just checked out. And it's infuriating and frustrating to be in a relationship when... A man is still there, but he's just checked out. And he was even suggested he was fine with her having an affair at one point when they weren't having sex. And so he 
that was that relationship was infuriating for me on so many levels. And, and refresh my memory, he also had like this weird relationship with his mother, oh, right? Bunny, yeah, which is and, genius. Yeah, the actress who played Bunny was just delightful and divine. And just, <laughs> but but that's like the red flag right there. There was an episode I think when he gets the, he gets the flu and Charlotte's sort of nursing him back to health, and he and, and Bunny finds out he has the flu and comes over and like moves into the house into the their Park Avenue you know apartment with him and just sort of starts like you know, taking care of him in the way Charlotte wants to. And at one point she's like, you got to get out of here. And then Charlotte wanted to redecorate the apartment too. Mm-hmm. And so this is like her, you know, you're, you got, I'm, I'm going to put the, you know, big vapor rub on his chest and I'm redecorating the apartment. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Bunny was genius. Oh my God. When they get the divorce and oh my God. Anyway, I just, I, I love this show so much. Obsessed. Do you I have don't... any other questions for me? I was going to say also, you know, I think that is um, a great inclusion that they added a character like Charlotte among the other women because she's very traditional and some people you know they felt like she was a little bit um, you know a step backwards from the other characters because they were very liberated and they were very open I'm wondering how you feel about her dynamic within the group I mean she plays a very important role in the show as well I think in so many ways I mean it's narratively I mean I I think about because I you know I, I, I work in television now obviously that Charlotte in some ways Miranda functioned in this way too but Charlotte also functioned as sort of like the audience in a way that like what are you doing like oh, we can't talk about this you know there's I mean in the episode in Running with Scissors you know she's like you know trying to pick the perfect wedding dress and she's at brunch and she's like I haven't seen you know I have a poster for this and I don't know if I like this dress and then um, and, and she's like and then um, Samantha's like hey, have you had an AIDS test and she's like I'm trying to pick out a wedding dress. Can we please not talk about AIDS right now? And <laughs> so there was just like so many of those moments where I think Charlotte may have functioned as like audience members who might not be ready for these you know, women who is sexually liberated. But then there was also beautiful moments where Miranda functioned in the same way. At the beginning of the second season, I think after the first season, a lot of people were critical of these women who all they focused on were men, right? Like, that was a huge criticism of the show. These successful New York City women and all they seemed to talk about was men. And like, Miranda, um, I think it was um, I think it was the episode where they where Samantha was dating um, James, who had the smallest penis ever. And they were at brunch talking about this small, this man with a small penis and balls and whatever. They were just, you know, that was Sex in the City. Yeah. And Miranda was like, we're four successful women. Can we find something else to talk about besides men? Um, and so I think that, you know, Charlotte functioned in this way to sort of almost be the sort of critic sometimes, and Miranda did that as well. Um, which well, in a beautiful way. We, we could talk about Sex and City all day, Obviously but I, I want to get real quick to your favorite episode of Orange of yes. all time, uh, which is, uh, of course, your, your backstory episode, season three, uh, or episode three, season one, episode three, Lesbian Request Denied. Yeah. The backstory episode. So, yeah. and, and how this, this, what this meant to you and, and how this sort of uh, set the trajectory. I mean, just when we shot this episode, when this episode came along, when I was cast in Orange, I just knew I was recurring. I didn't know that I would have a backstory. I didn't know any of that. I was just happy to have a job, honestly. And then I got the script for this and was just like, I just remember thinking, this is what I've been waiting for my whole career. I, by this time, I'm, I'm 40 years old. I had trained, been training extensively with various teachers in New York, very seriously, um, 
doing deep dives into like acting technique with Susan Batson and later with Brad Calcaterra. I mean, I was a dance major in college, studied acting in college. And so I was just been training for a long time and not getting any opportunities. And finally, I have this episode that had this depth and this richness and all of these textures and colors that I got to play in this beautiful story. And I was just so insanely excited and I just and just wanting to completely throw myself into it and um, Jodie Foster of course was directing that episode I Amazing. idolized yeah. Jodie Foster the fir- my first day of shooting Orange actually um, I met Jodie, Jodie was sort of just on set looking around and sort of take, getting the lay of the land and she said I'm ep- directing episode 3 and I didn't know episode 3 would even be my backstory and so it was just unbelievably magical. Getting to work with Jody was um, still one of the top three highlights of my career. Seven years later, um, it just felt it was it felt so pure. And I think you know I got to meet with her before we started shooting because she you know she, she it was the first time she'd done a television show, so she meets with the actors beforehand. You know, and honestly, I'm so glad we did that because I don't know if I could have even acted or spoke spoken to her yeah. if the first day I was meeting her is when we were shoot the first day of shooting and so I got to rehearse with her and, and I played a scene with her in her office she was like can we put the scene on his feet and I and so I got to just interact with her as an artist and as a human being and that really helped me sort of take away like Jodie Foster the icon um, and it was but it was still insanely magical and working with her made me just want to give my all and just be ready to do take after take after take and we did take after take after take and it was it was utterly delightful and Crystal um, Tanya Wright who plays Crystal my wife um, was just brilliant there was a there was a scene when I dress for the first time as a woman in front of Crystal and she sees me and um that was a very, I remember that, that we shot that scene at the, at the end of a very long day. I think it was like, you know, 20 hour day or something. And I remember after like the third or fourth take, Jody pops out, you know, after, you know, just all this energy. And I was just like, this is what it's about. You know, this is what it's about. And like, I need to like, you know, match this energy and this intensity. And Tanya was just so real and human. And there are just things that happened in that scene that were so unexpected than what I had rehearsed or thought the scene would be or could be and that was because of Tanya that was because of Jody, and it was just it's, I, it's the moments you dream about as an actor to be on set with a with another actor in this deeply human moment and things come up for you that you just didn't think would come up because you're just open to the moment and and, the, and and Tanya says something and that sparks something in me that like creates this moment and the moment is happening right in front of you and you're sort of surprised by it and most, I was sort of almost outside my body watching it um, it, was, it was glorious yeah, it was glorious. yeah. No, that, and, and again like you know, so early on in the series like mm-hmm. you know defining moment of this show too um, yeah. amazing to go back and, and think about that first season of, of yeah. the show and here we are seven years later you mentioned yeah. Jodie Foster icon now we're talking Laverne Cox icon <laughs> So, I don't know if I'm quite icon. You're getting there. Yet. You're getting there. I am just so <laughs> blessed to still be working, to still um, to still be slightly relevant, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the times have changed so much. I'm just grateful to be working. I think the goal for me has always been to just be a working actor, you know, to find a way to um, do this thing that I love 
with all my heart and I still love it. I still love it a lot. And I'm just so grateful that I still get to do this. Well, congrats on the Emmy nomination and everything coming up. Uh, Looking forward to seeing what's next. Laverne, thank you for stopping by and thanks for talking Sex in the City. This was fun. Deep diving into Sex in the City. (laughs) Thank you, darling. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And that's it for this edition of My Favorite Episode. Join us again next time as we once again explore another guest pick. And be sure to subscribe to My Favorite Episode on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or anywhere you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com for your daily fix of TV news, analysis, and reviews. I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you again next time. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>